Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm David French, not your normal Dispatch Podcast host. And this is not your normal Dispatch Podcast. We had some technical difficulties around our Dispatch Live Tuesday night. Substack was down, so very few members were able to access the broadcast. But it was a fantastic discussion, and we thought we would reproduce it for you for the main podcast feed. So without further ado, this is Tuesday night's Dispatch Live with me, Audrey Falberg, Declan Garvey, and Andrew Egger talking politics. Welcome to Dispatch Live, um, a unique Dispatch Live. We're we're broadcasting. I'm not going to say into the void, uh, but close to it because Substack is down right now. That means that only the most tech-savvy dispatch members have figured out how to access this live link, and you're now watching it. Exclusive, intimate presentation of Dispatch Live, but it will be released as a podcast, so you, if you're hearing this, the chances are you're hearing this as a podcast. So... Um, and it's just too bad, actually, that so few people are seeing this live because this is going to be premium content tonight. Uh, I've got Audrey, I'm David French. I'm going to say this because a lot of people will only be listening to this. <laughs> uh, I've got Audrey Falberg with us, Declan Garvey, Andrew Egger. And we are um, going to po- talk about three broad topics as well as answer questions that the select elite few, the SEAL Team 6 of dispatch team members, could access, uh, can uh, who are able to watch us live will answer your questions. Uh, so we're going to talk about three broad things. One is, is the GOP, GOP throwing away the Senate? Number two, um, how is the post-search uh, news cycle working out for the DOJ and for Donald Trump? And number three, is Ron DeSantis rooting for the feds? So these are three interesting, good questions. And I want to start um, with throwing in question to Audrey, and it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but the general thrust of the question is, how bad do MAGA candidates have to be in this environment to lose? And we'll just start with Georgia, uh, Audrey. How many secrets, how many secret sons will it take for Herschel Walker to lose his Senate race? How much trouble is he in? <laughs> That's a great question. The polls definitely have him trailing Raphael Warnock by quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so the Daily Beast of, uh, several weeks ago posted the, published this story um, that Herschel Walker had a secret son. And then there were more and more and more stories. It turns out he has two secret sons and a daughter. We double checked before this mm-hmm. dispatch live. <laughs> Um, but, you know, that's not even the craziest thing he's done or said. We talked about this a little bit in the sleep and Declan, Far from Esther, it, yeah. Doc, uh, Declan Esther wrote about this in the morning dispatch this morning. Um, but, you know, he said he's talked about air quality saying, quote, our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. Talking about the recently passed um, Inflation Reduction Act, which um, the mainstream media likes to label the sweeping climate change health care uh, <laughs> bill. Um, he said, quote, a lot of money is it's going to trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? Uh, the list goes on and on. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Clearly, he's not very uh, well spoken. Um, he's not the only gaff machine on the trail. Uh, clearly in Pennsylvania, this is an issue for Dr. Oz as well, um, who got a lot of um, flack from John Fetterman for, you know, posting this video on Twitter complaining about inflation. And um, he said that his wife wanted him to come to the grocery store to make a veggie plate, but he called it a, a, a crudite. Is that, I, I've never even heard the word. Crudite, yes. And yeah. he um, mispronounced the local grocery store, Redner's, as um he actually tried to say Wegmans, but then ended up saying Wegmans. And so, um, you know, John Fetterman ends up making fun of him on uh, in a fundraising email and ends up with a $500,000 fundraising haul in the 24 hours after that gap, which is pretty astounding. Um, but I'll let Declan and Andrew weigh in here. It's kind of crazy yeah. how bad these candidates are. 
And then with with Herschel Walker, I mean, we we can laugh about sort of the 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 secret son scandal, although certainly no laughing matter. This family arrangement, we can laugh about the sort of the gaffes, but there's a no laughing matter as to is he okay? And then we have the scandal about he allegedly held a gun to, up to his ex wife. I mean, this is pretty remarkable stuff. Um, so, Declan, let, let me come to you. Yeah. Where are you seeing uh, the GOP in the most trouble in the Senate? I mean, it feels to me that Herschel Walker may still pull it out. Dr. Oz seems pretty in a, a, a lot of trouble, like <laughs> Masters, a lot of trouble. What, what are you, where are you seeing thing, the GOP at the most risk in this potential wave year? Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's the first thing to, to note is that, um, the GOP shouldn't be really in trouble anywhere. <laughs> they, they they should, you know, with with Biden's approval numbers where they are, with inflation near 40-year highs, with um, just the general, you know, midterm effect of the, the party out of power typically regains control of Congress historically pretty much every time. Um, the Republicans should be kind of on a clean sweep on, on their way to taking back control of Congress. And they are in the House. Um, they're not in the Senate. I think the most election models uh, still give Democrats a, something like a 60, 70 percent chance of keeping control of the Senate, um, even gaining uh, a seat or two. Um, and part of that is because uh, Republicans are defending much more seats. They have kind of a much unfriendlier map this cycle uh, this time around. But they are they're in huge trouble in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, less less so in Ohio, I, I think. J.D. Vance gets lumped in with uh, these other candidates, and he's, I think, a little bit stronger. Ohio is a little bit redder. He'll be fine, most likely. Um, but it's really, it's. I spent yesterday talking to uh, a lot of different Republican strategists, and I think some of them are are tuning in now, or they were supposed to before Substack went down. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, it it uh, it's really frustrating them because this is basically Trump got everything that he wanted. Uh, you know, for the most part, pretty much any any Senate candidate that he wanted, that he endorsed, won. Um, you know, Oz was hand-selected by Trump. Herschel Walker was hand-selected by Trump. J.D. Vance, Blake Masters in Arizona. Um, and now that they're po polling poorly, you know, because you have to do certain things to win the Trump endorsement and and get out there uh, with, with Republican primary voters, now that they're pouring, polling poorly in the general election, Trump's like, well, why isn't Mitch McConnell doing more to uh, support them and and to uh, give them money and and everything? The Republican strategists are like, Trump, they're your candidates. You fund them. You give them money from all the all the donor money that you're collecting. So um, it, it's kind of a Trump just cared that he got his people through the primary. You know, it doesn't matter much to him whether or not they win the general election. We'll see. Uh, how close they come, but it does seem like it's going to be a much, much diff more difficult road than it needs to be. So, Andrew, um, Declan raised a point that it seems as if J.D. Vance is being lumped into the trouble group um, that includes Blake Masters, Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz. Fair to lump him in there? It, it depends what you mean by by trouble, right? I mean, he mm -hmm. just just going by the polling, he is not nearly as underwater as some of those other candidates are. And we discussed this, I think, a little bit a little bit last week that these are mm -hmm. some kind of shocking gaps that we're seeing in in uh, in Pennsylvania and Arizona in particular, like like double digit polling leads in what are supposed to be neck and neck races, um, which we, we we would expect to tighten. Um, in in Ohio, it's not nearly not nearly so bad. I think. Um, JD Vance is still a pretty strong favorite to win that race. The 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 role that he plays in this conversation, and I can't remember whether uh, whether it was in TMD today or in the sweep today that we mentioned this because it's all one big mind meld um, over here on the editorial side. <laughs> um, but it, it is the fact that there is just enough of a chink in his armor um, where it's it's not. Uh, you know, set it and forget it. We've won Ohio and we don't need to think about it uh, between now and November whatsoever. There's there's just enough question mark there that Republicans kind of nationally, strategically have been forced 
to pour a bunch more money into that race supporting a bunch uh, being JD 30 million dollars right right yeah. then then they otherwise would have would have had to do wanted to do money that could have gone in theory to making up some of this ground in some of these other states and we're obviously like your top priority is 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 the defense you don't it, you you don't want to you know sweep in a bunch of brand new and potentially like weaker um um it, just strategically, it's nice. It's nice to maintain. You want to you want a Republican to replace yeah. a Republican with Rob Portman. Um, so so uh, I, I think like and, and and part of that is just purely on Vance. I mean, he hasn't really been campaigning. He hasn't really been fundraising. He's kind of been been happy to leave the the financial element largely to 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 Peter Thiel, who's been funding his super PAC. Um, and uh, <laughs> plainly, uh, Mitch McConnell and and uh, JD Vance have different levels of risk assessment for for how close <laughs> you can let it get before you're uh, um, before you have to have to sweat it. So uh, so I think I think well, yeah he 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 plays that role here. That's the that's the problem with running as populist a campaign as he is is that essentially I mean he's throughout the primary he was maligning. Uh, basically every, you know, elite American institution, financial sector, uh, DC politics, like these are all the people that theoretically would be funding his campaign. Um, and he's turned a lot of them off. He's, uh, really not fundraised, uh, in a way that, um, he, he should be able to just kind of like a base level, uh, get enough money to run your ads on, on TV. Um, and so that's why, the Senate Leadership Fund, that's the Mitch McConnell aligned uh, super PAC here in DC, felt the need to pour so much money in is that he's not doing the work to do the kind of grassroots fundraising from voters. Um, he's also not attracting enough money from kind of corporate uh, general, uh, you know, historically uh, traditional funders of, of Republican campaigns. And so he's just kind of left in the middle where Tim Ryan, the Democratic nominee, is just, you know, traversing the state, covering it completely with ads. The Democrats are flush with money right now. And so um, there really is just kind of like a name ID, get your name out there, uh, disadvantage there that it's going to cost $30 million to to fix. And that's money, again, that, like Andrew was saying, could have gone towards Colorado, could have gone towards Oregon or Washington, uh, Nevada, places where Republicans could actually be picking up a seat rather than just trying to not lose as many as they can. So, Audrey, Sounds to me like a you could call J.D. Vance like a canary in a coal mine. In other words, if J.D. Vance is in trouble in Ohio, which I believe was Trump plus eight or so in 2020, um, not close, not close. Uh, so if J.D. Vance is in trouble in a Trump plus eight, is it fair to keep talking about a red wave? Is that outdated? Is that an outdated conversation to have right now? Um, well, one more thing on J.D. Vance, uh, J.D. Vance's race that I think we haven't really talked about. Declan kind of alluded to this, but Tim Ryan's also just a really, really good candidate. I mean, he's a dream candidate for Democrats in that he's really good at towing the line. And even though he's voted with Biden pretty much 100 percent of the time um, this term, he um, is really good at engaging with reporters. And, you know, for example, the other day I asked him if he hopes that Biden will join him in the state. And he said, you know, we're running our own race. We're not really asking many people to come in. Um, and that really appeals to Ohio voters, right? Um, I think in terms of the red wave question, I think, um, I don't know, we've been talking, like election analysts and reporters have talked about a red wave for quite some time, but I think that the, the understanding from the get-go, at least from a few months ago, is that that was always gonna be the case at the House, but the Senate was always gonna be really, really tricky. Um, and I think a lot of it had to kind of became clear before a lot of these really tricky Republican primaries, including in Herschel Walker, I mean, excuse me, in, in Georgia, where, you know, there's been some criticism of Rick Scott and McConnell for perhaps not involving themselves more in Republican primaries, but it's not clear that, um, you know, D.C. establishment involvement in Georgia would have, like, put a dent in Herschel Walker's support. Maybe that would have made a difference in a place like Pennsylvania, right, where Dave McCormick probably would have made, made a much better general election um, candidate. Um, but, you know, I don't know. There are a lot of other races that we haven't really talked about yet, including like in Nevada, um, Catherine Cortez Masters rated by Cook Political Report to be the most endangered incumbent. I think Republicans will probably pick up that seat. Um, 
One that I think is really fun to write about is Colorado. I mean, yes, Joe Day will probably lose, but I think the fact that McConnell is even appearing at his events, um, and I'm guessing, you know, maybe we'll see some Senate leadership fund money being poured into his race. That's, again, a warning sign that, like, people like Vance are doing really, really poorly, that they might end up having to rely on other states that otherwise weren't on the map. Like, I think, honestly... Yes, the Senate Leadership Fund has poured, I think, a total of $34 million into Pennsylvania, but I think they're kind of nearing the point where they're like, all right, what can we really do to save this guy? Yeah, I mean, Dr. Think- Oz's team did mock uh, John Fetterman's stroke today, so there's that. Um, okay, here, here's a question. Whether- no, go ahead, Declan. Oh, well, whether or not I think, you know, we we are going to get a red wave or, or that should still be... Um, you know, in, in the cards, Republicans expected a red wave um, and they've been told there's a red wave coming for, uh, you know, a year and a half now. And, you know, if if that does not materialize, there will have to be fall guys. Um, and, and I think we're starting to see early signs of who that might be. I mean, right now we're basically seeing kind of a not so subtle, um, you know, pissing match between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump right now over mm-hmm. it's going to be your fault that this happened versus your fault that this happened. Um, there was a uh, Trump did one of his truths, which is a, a tweet, but uh, on his own website about Mitch McConnell and his wife over the weekend, uh, criticizing them. And a reporter asked him today, McConnell, uh, do you have any comment uh, responding to to this? And McConnell just leans into the microphone, and goes, "No." <laughs> um, so there's, you know, they're they're fighting over over who's going to get blamed for this if if it, the wave doesn't come to fruition. Um, and then today, this is a very inside the Beltway DC thing, but there was a, a kind of a hit piece laundered on Rick Scott, uh, who's the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is um, you know in charge of electing Republicans on a nationwide basis. And uh, in Axios today, there's a, a piece written about how he took a vacation with his wife for their 50th anniversary while Republicans are floundering in the Senate and, and that he's not here working on that every day. That's not a piece that gets written if things are going well. That's a there are people out to get you there. You you know, we're frustrated with how you're leading this. And, um, you know, we don't think you're handling this the best way that you could be. So we're going to start, you know, uh the corners are closing in on him. I think he saw this as a potential uh, launching pad to kind of build his name and network ahead of a 2024 campaign. But it's if it goes the way that it's going right now, it, he's really uh, kind of, I think, hurt himself rather than helped. Which is a real shame because otherwise Rick Scott would make such a compelling, <laughs> I, uh, I, <laughs> dynamic presidential contender. I will my- say this: the scandal had one benefit for him, which is... And his, his spokesperson responded basically saying, like, how dare Rick Scott uh, go take his wife on a trip for the 50th anniversary. And finding out that he's been married for 50 years, I thought he was like 50. So he is actually <laughs> 70. He looks fantastic for, for how old that he is. No kidding. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if that's the one thing that comes out of this forum, um, you know, that might be worth it alone. Honestly, maintaining right. like, a, like a healthy work-life balance is... <laughs> is a commendable thing. I mean, like, like good for, good for him. Like if he, pr- if he promised his wife a trip for their anniversary. Well, this is there, a Rick. whole, this is a whole other thing though. I mean, think about some of these representatives like Nancy Pelosi and then, you know, Senator like Chuck Grassley, these guys are working well into advanced age without maintaining, I should say much of a work-life balance. So, you know, there's maybe, maybe this work-life balance is oversold, but that that's a, a topic for another Dispatch live. Andrew, right now, 538 gives um, Republicans about a 78% chance of taking the House, which is overwhelming odds, I think, fair to say. Gives the uh, Democrats a 63% chance of retaining the Senate, which is solid. If that's how it works out, if that's how it works out, what is the story that Republicans tell themselves after November? Well, the the thing that's been interesting to me as we've been talking about all this, all this, this fall guy stuff um, is, is the way that the, the Republican apparatus for kind of like understanding unfortunate things that have that have befallen them in the elect in elections has really gotten kind of short circuited in the past two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there is because there's a 
very substantial part of the base that has gotten really used to seeing uh, unexpectedly bad election results uh, as proof in and of itself, just the fact that the results were significantly worse than they themselves anticipated as proof of some kind of funny business or, or fraud. I mean, we've seen this in, in, in a lot of even primary elections this year, like in the, in the couple, in the handful of races uh, where, where Trump's candidates have, have not done very well. Um, like, like what we saw in, in a lot of the statewide elections uh, in, in Georgia for, for governor and, uh, and uh, um, secretary of state in particular, an immediate kind of flowering of, of the fixes in, you know, they, they, the, the current governor, did that for himself in in the gubernatorial uh, primary in Arizona. We saw the fascinating spectacle of of the the Trumpy candidate there, Carrie Lake, who won her primary. Still spent the first you know the first few hours immediately after the polls closed before she took the lead, waving a big fraud flag. And then after she retook the lead, counting overnight, basically just saying thank you all for 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 turning out to vote and outvoting the fraud. <laughs> um, literally just, just based on the fact that at one point in the counting, she was behind the elect. It's, it's, it's a tainted, tainted result. And so I think, I mean, when you, when you look back at like previous times that the Republican party has, has tried to do some soul searching and, and gone back and licked their wounds and like, gosh, how can we stop ourselves from being embarrassed like this again? I'm not sure you're going to see much of that. I mean, I think, I think you will see the, the personal, um, um, blame going around that basically just lets everybody, reinforce whichever politicians they were already pre-inclined to hate. Um, but I think that that this it, it's just kind of a leak in the pipe, the, the election fraud stuff that will prevent any kind of um, like real uh, uh, momentum from from building up to, to have a, a critical mass of people say, gosh, like plainly that the kinds of races that we're running here are are not working out as well as we thought they should. The, the last time that this happened for Republicans, you know, in 2010, 2012, both times were they thought that they should win back the Senate and did not. Um, that they made some some real changes before the 2014 midterms. They took much more active role in primaries. They ensured that Todd Akin or Christine O'Donnell was not going to get the nomination. Sharon Angle, states. Um, right? And so um, the Mount Rushmore of the lost Senate. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that was. I, I think that was kind of a hope that you know we've been covering this dating back two years. Is Mitch McConnell going to take such an, an active role in? shaping who these nominees are. And for the most part, he has not, you know, that I was talking to people yesterday, they were very, you know, adamant. He did in, uh, in Missouri, he did stop Eric Reitens from getting the the nomination there. But for the most part, he's been relatively hands off. And, you know, whether that's a deliberate strategy of, okay, Trump, see how your guys do and, and go from there. Or if it's a me getting involved in this rate is is only going to backfire. And, you know, because the establishment coming in to save a candidate isn't necessarily what primary voters want to hear. Um, we've seen just a kind of a reversion back to the hands off approach from 2010, 2012. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Audrey, uh, quick question for you from Kevin, uh, who asks, what's the over under for McCarthy not getting to be speaker, assuming Republicans win? the house are you hearing any rumbles that mccarthy might actually not be speaker or is that just sort of pundit talk to me that's pundit talk but what will be really funny to watch is when um somebody like joe kent who i did not think was going to be jamie herrera butler um he hates mccarthy has said that he would not vote for him for speaker what happens when he likely wins um, and he joins the ranks of the, you know, House Republicans. Um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't know what you guys are hearing, Declan and Andrew, but I, I think that McCarthy's pretty, pretty has played this pretty well. Um, I think, like, unfortunately, a lot of the pro-impeachment House Republicans have lost. But, um, you know, McCarthy has really tried hard to fundraise on their behalf. He's fundraised also his take back the House 2022 leadership pack has fundraised for somebody, you know, pro impeachment Republican David Valadeo, for example. Um, and so I think he's really tried to play his hand. And I, I think, um, you know, even Jim Jordan at the House Republican issues retreat in late March um, a lot of people thought that he would challenge McCarthy and, you know, he, he still technically could, but he kind of 
made some tacit endorsement of McCarthy at that issues retreat, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I think he kind of has it in the bag. Um, but I did want to add one more thing to, to what Declan was talking about in terms of McConnell's involvement in Senate races. Um, he did get involved in Missouri, but he also got involved in Alabama, which I thought was really interesting and mm-hmm. he was successful in preventing Mo Brooks from uh, winning that primary. Um, that was kind of a funny part of this midterm cycle that I don't think got that much attention. Yeah, we're getting a couple of questions. Um if the, that are that are similar, sort of what was McConnell doing during all of this candidate selection? And if the GOP does lose the Senate majority again, who will MAGA world blame since they're obviously not going to blame Trump? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I think the default for MAGA world, if they anything negative happens in the Senate, is to blame McConnell. I mean, that, we don't have to draw a line from A to B <laughs> for people to blame Mitch McConnell here. Uh, but a question for the group, um, was McConnell asleep at the wheel when it came to candidate selection or was this a situation where Trump's guys were going to just win? This is this is what I was trying to figure out in, in my reporting yesterday. Um, and basically the sense that I got was he picked his battles where he thought he could actually make a difference in Missouri. And, mm-hmm. and Audrey, thank you for mentioning Alabama is another one. Um, and then it, uh, I, I saw one of the questions had to do specifically with Herschel Walker in Georgia. Herschel Walker was going to win that primary, even if I don't even know who was running against him, honestly, because, uh, even if that person got airdropped $4 billion to run ads, <laughs> they're not going to beat the Georgia football star, uh, endorsed by Trump in, in Georgia. And so I think you know, you could agree or disagree whether, you know, McConnell should have tried anyways. Um, but it's kind of a, a little bit of a keeper powder dry. Why, why bother spending both money and, you know, um, picking fights with Trump in places where it's not going to have any Mm -hmm. real tangible benefit anyways. Um, it might be worth, you know, showing that there is an opposition or, or there is an alternative, even if it's not going to win. Um, but McConnell world kind of clearly, came to the decision that there there were very there were places where it just was not going to make one whit of difference um and so it wasn't even worth engaging i'm just gonna say i'm just gonna say declan though real fast on behalf of gary black i'm deeply offended that you do not remember him 13.4 percent of the vote (laughs) to herschel walker's 68.2 uh, I think we all saw you looking that up a second ago. <laughs> what? The, the screen was flashing. There was a- no, <laughs> no. That's that's fake news. That is absolute <laughs> fake news. And and then also, um, oh, uh, hold on. My screen. I'm not saying that I'm looking at a screen, but my screen actually cuts off the last name of the third place finisher. It says Latham Sad. <laughs> and That's I don't think it ends with it's not, it's not his name. It's his. It's Latham is sad. <laughs> Latham I, is sad. Eight point nine percent of the vote. So, so can, can uh, I say one thing on one thing yes. each on on Georgia and Missouri? Because because I think Declan's absolutely right. The, the the thing about Georgia is that during that Republican primary, nobody was paying any attention to Herschel Walker because from the minute he announced, it was it was okay. He's a lock. He's locked for the nomination. Um, he's he's uh, he's Trump endorsed. I mean, G- Georgia Republicans were not like going out of their way to f- to like, oh, this Herschel Walker guy. I wonder what he's about. They knew enough based on the fact that he was, you know, the the unbelievably popular former football star endorsed by the president, and that was plenty. And as far as like the political press and 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 everybody were concerned, all of the oxygen during that primary was getting sucked up by by the, oh, the, for sure. the governor and and secretary right. of state races with with Brian Kemp and and uh, and versus David Perdue and and Brad Raffensperger versus Jody Heiss. So so you know you, you you get this this barrage of like the negative press for for Herschel Walker, um, and that's to be expected. You know during during a primary or uh, sorry during a general election, that's when Democrats are going to start dropping all of their oppo. But when but as far as even like the Republicans are concerned, like there I, I totally agree. I don't think there really ever was any lane for McConnell to get involved there. And then I think Missouri is a really illustrative example of the exact far opposite end of the spectrum, where you have a candidate in Greitens who is a target-rich environment for, for McConnell in a lot of different ways. Like, like one, he has pledged that if he's elected to the Senate, 
he will vote to oppose McConnell as majority leader. I mean, he, that's, this, mm-hmm. he made this a campaign plank of his. So obviously uh, not a guy McConnell wants in for, for that reason, but also just a man with an unbelievable amount of, of personal baggage that in, in theory, his nomination could be the only thing that would even in a million years give a, a Democrat like Trudy Bush Valentine a tiny chance of of sneaking away with the seat. Um, so that's another another reason for for McConnell to want to get involved. And then the third thing is that the other candidates in the race were just not hitting Greitens very hard. So so there was an opportunity to come in, do some outside spending, really play up his negatives in a way that was getting that message in front of voters who would not have seen it necessarily otherwise. And I think all those things together uh, uh, sort of lined up in order for, for for McConnell to think, OK, here is a place where I can really actually make a difference. And even then, I mean, Greitens finishes in third place, but he finishes in third place with I, I don't remember the exact numbers now. He still gets like 20 percent of the vote. You know, it's not yeah. like even, even with all these things lining up, there's only so much ground McConnell can 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 help like a, a, a better off in his eyes Republican make up. So I think that that goes a long way to explaining why he kept powder dry in, in so many of these different races. All right. So I'm going to answer a last reader question on this topic before we move on to the next. And this this was the question was, is there any Phil asked, do any of you think there's a cohesive establishment Republican? an effort to make Trump candidates lose or look bad? I think the answer to that is a no with a capital N-O. Mitch McConnell would be super happy to ride an Oz, Walker, Vance, (laughs) Masters wave into Senate Majority Leader. Um, He would want to be Senate Majority Leader. And then if he doesn't like these guys, some of the guys who help make him Senate Majority Leader, he can sideline them when they're in the Senate. <laughs> right. But he would want to be Senate Majority. I, I just don't think there's any any effort on the half, uh, on the part of establishment Republicans to tank anything. They um, he, he wouldn't be putting a combined seventy million dollars into. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not him per se, but his super PAC yeah. wouldn't be giving them that much money just to yeah. let it fire. All right, so let's move on to the Mar-a-Lago search. Since the raid, one thing two one thing was absolutely clear: MAGA world rallied around Donald Trump instantaneously. Um, a lot of folks called the um, the the DOJ raid an, like an in kind country in kind campaign contribution to Donald Trump. Since that time, since the raid, uh, since we learned of the raid, we've seen the search warrant and the exhibits. Uh, we have seen from a variety of letters that have been released, other information that's been released that Trump was hanging on to some top secret special access programs information, hundreds of pages of classified information that the government says he shouldn't have had. Uh, there have been some really amateurish legal filings uh, from Team Trump, which is, of course, par for the course, as we've seen over the years. Um, two weeks out. Is it two weeks? Whatever. It's these days have felt like years, my friends. Let's just go around the horn. Two weeks out. Start with you, Audrey. Is the raid or search or whatever you want to call it still benefiting Donald Trump, or has that worm turned a little bit? I think right now it is. I think, frankly, so you speak about like amateurish legal filings. I think for the average voter, they are not going to follow that kind of thing, right? True. You see, this is another attempt to, you know. You know, like they painted Trump as a Russian asset last time. You know, we don't trust the federal government, blah, blah, blah. He's our guy. He's a victim. I think if anything, you know, we're seeing that he's fundraising off this a lot, obviously. Um, so I think at this point, it's still probably helping him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this changes as things go on. But I, you talked about how MAGA world instantaneously rallied behind him. That clearly happened in the, in the House, especially with House Republican leaders yeah. McCarthy, Stefanik, Scalise calling, saying live in a banana republic, you know, the Biden weaponized the DOJ against his enemies. But in the Senate, um, McConnell, Joni, you know, and his fellow members of Republican leadership issued a much more measured response saying, you know, some of them even waited a couple of days to say, okay, well, yes, the American people deserve answers. We need to see transparency immediately, right? But obviously the House and Senate are very different bodies. But to me, that was the most interesting aspect of all of this. Declan, Andrew, how's how's it going two weeks later? Is it still a campaign contribution to Donald Trump? 
I mean, <clears throat> yes, in in the fact that it forced basically every Republican to go on the record defending him again when they, you know, he obviously has <laughs> plenty of defenders in, in the Republican Party, but there were, you know, a select few that uh, were getting less and less vociferous in, in their uh, support of him, were kind of keeping a lower profile, um, prepping assume uh, assumingly for their own presidential campaigns in 2024 um but but this you know if you couldn't be silent on this in republican politics you had to weigh in you had to uh let people know where you stood within you know an hour of of the news breaking ron DeSantis was out with um a, a statement calling you know this a banana republic completely um uh, completely unhinged, uh, uh, an act of the quote unquote regime, uh, going against, um, Americans and, and, and Trump. Um, and so it kind of like, you know, people were crawling away from the, the grasp of Trump and it kind of pulled them all right back in. Um, and so that I think is, is one of the biggest benefits for Trump and two, it's just, he's back in the, the news again. And that's kind of, you know, we've been dealing with this for seven years where, you know, regardless of whether it's negative press or positive press, it's 100% always about him. And uh, that's enough, oftentimes, especially when, when the, the quote, unquote, press is the a, a opposition force, you know, being criticized by them is not a bad thing in, in any way, shape or uh, form. So, you know, obviously, I think, like, there's, hypocrisy abounds on every side of the story, whether or not you care. <laughs> you about can just stop the, with the bounds, just yes. stop with the bounds. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, so it, is there a world where in a couple of weeks we find out that, you know, what he actually had was uh, nuclear documents that he was selling to XYZ country for whatever, to help them help so that they would help him get back into power or something, you know, whatever that he's is. He's a businessman, like, Declan. I mean, he's a businessman. Maybe, maybe that happens. I highly doubt it. I, you yeah. know, I, I don't want to give too much credence to the people who are saying this because of who they are and, you know, what they've done over the past six years and, and not demonstrated a lot of truthfulness, but there does seem to be kind of a recurring theme that like he likes to <laughs> scrapbook and keep memorabilia and um, you know, that, I think a lot of this stuff is probably things that he thinks are cool, you know, shiny objects from his presidency that, that he wants to keep. It's um, not saying he should, or should be able to, I think that, you know, there's plenty of justification to go get that stuff back, but it's not necessarily going to be that they are there that really turns Republicans away. And to be clear, we were joking about the selling. Bit. <laughs> yes. This yeah. is, there's no evidence of that. I, Even I, French I, predicts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> David French accuses Trump um, of selling secrets because he's, quote, a businessman. All right, Andrew, <laughs> I know how this works. I know how Twitter works. Um, so, Andrew, here's where I am right now. Agree or disagree? As of right now, it is more likely that Trump will be the GOP nominee than he was than it was before the search and less likely he becomes president. That's a. Uh... You're giving me a two, a surprisingly complicated agree or disagree question. I hadn't, I hadn't formulated it in those. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think it's correct that it plays in the favor of of Republicans um, as far as the primary is concerned. I grant the first half of that. I honestly don't know how it. I mean, it it, it just it just seems really hard for me to believe. I feel like all of these stories, like like any Trump scandal, it's always kind of predicated on this notion in, in, in the minds of a lot of the media and stuff. It's like Trump has captured this remarkably large group of people. And is this the story that's going to peel some of those people away? Is this the story that's going to peel some of those people away? And it almost never is. And I agree, it's pro probably not that either. But for people outside of that bubble, I almost mm -hmm. wonder, like, like really, like this is tr Trump. I mean, I, I, obviously, it depends what it what what it turns out he brought. Yeah. That will matter a lot. But if it is like, you know, his his correspondence with Kim Jong-un, as it's been suggested that maybe that, you know, th th things of that nature. I mean, like you really you, you you sat through the him trying to steal the 2020 election uh, and and, you know, any number of other things like you, you remember the Trump years. Those were crazy. Um, yeah. and, and, and this is the thing where you're like. He's really gone too far. You lost. Sorry, <laughs> you lost my vote. It's hard for me to imagine that there are that many people in that camp. So I think I would right. maybe dispute the second half of of what you said. Well, here's what here's why I would say the second half. I think he's got a hair a pretty high floor. 
of support. I mean, we just have his floor is really high. He's all of this of oh, it like it was it was the class. It was the Kim Jong Un letter that finally did it for me. It wasn't the it wasn't the insurrection. It wasn't none of that. It was the Kim Jong Un letter. He should never. Have, no, of course not. I mean, that's he got a really really high floor. The question for me is how low is his ceiling, and how hard is that ceiling? And I think that anything that just reminds people who are not in his base of just how nuts it is to be involved in Trump drama all the time, uh, either his ceiling was already pretty low. Let's be honest. He never got a percentage of the vote even as high as Mitt Romney's. So his ceiling was already pretty low. I think it's just a matter of like fixing that low ceiling. And I don't see how this helps him outside of that Republican base in any way, well, shape, or form. Talk, talking to Republican strategists yesterday for, for this other story, that is one of the main reasons that they cite in Democrats kind of rebounding and polling averages mm-hmm. over the past couple of weeks. It's, you know, there, there's two camps there. It's either, um, and I think it's it's actually a combination of both, but either um, the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court, that's kind of sinking into the electorate in a way that, you know, nobody really predicted. The other thing is that Trump is back in the news and reminding people why they did not, reminding people specifically independents, why they were not super crazy about the Trump years. Um, You know, it's easy to uh, be looking at, you know, the past year of the year, year and change of the Biden administration, like, I'm not feeling super great about my finances. Uh, Inflation is really out of control. This is the year anniversary of Afghanistan. And then you remember what the alternative is. And it's Trump, you know, talking about uh, banana republics and random scandals and and just exhausting stuff. Uh, And that's kind of dampened Republican enthusiasm a little bit, uh, according to these operatives. All right. So I'm going to do a, a lightning round, unilateral answer, question answering, and then we'll move on to the DeSantis discourse. Will the Marlogo search warrant affidavit be released? And if yes, will we get to see enough of it to learn anything? Highly likely some of it will be released. Totally don't know if it will be of any use. I tend to think it will maybe be of some use. This is a good one. Was it a raid or just a search warrant served? Yes. Uh, to both. <laughs> <laughs> a raid is it's not there's no technical term for this so it was not a raid like a no-knock raid it was not a raid like a quick knock raid so far as we know like the terrible brianna taylor case but a lot it's kind of colloquial to say if a whole bunch of cops show up at your house and they are going to come in the door whether you want them to or not it's kind of um you know it's fair to call it a raid. i mean I wouldn't worry one this, way or the other. I I say search because raids can apply no knock. Yes, this this could be a good transition to our next segment. Um, there is a video. I think we put it in the morning dispatch a couple a week or two ago of Ron DeSantis. I think it was in December. Um, yeah. <laughs> where, getting really mad. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. uh, getting very upset at reporters for calling um, the execution of a search warrant a raid because yeah. it was. Uh, of Rebecca Jones, who was uh, a former, I think, Florida Health Department employee who alleged that he was fudging COVID numbers, something like that. Um, and police got a, a warrant and and executed a search warrant on her house. And a reporter called it a raid. And DeSantis was furious. Like he spent two or three minutes talking about how that's pushing a narrative, using unfair language, totally biased, whatever. And then now <laughs> uh he he hasn't quite expressed similar outrage of of that but i know that that's what we're going to get to next so well let's see let's do that transition so audrey yeah. if you're ron DeSantis, if you're if you're ron DeSantis uh is lead advisor and are you telling him governor in public you're condemning the fbi in private you're rooting for the fbi <laughs> Um, I think who was it earlier, Declan, who mentioned that, you know, DeSantis is one of the first um, Republicans to come out and get he I think his tweet was one of the tweets that got the most likes out of all of the tweets condemning the search. And he coined the term mall, which I think we're all just supposed to pretend was a term before the tweet <laughs> to mean Mar-a-Lago. I mean, but yeah, I think DeSantis knows that now is his time. Right. And I think that mm-hmm. 
most of us, I think, would agree that he's going to run. Obviously, it's going to be tougher if Trump does run. Um, but I think we were talking about, um, you know, Democratic and independent and suburban voters tiring of all this Trump discourse. And I think Ron DeSantis, like, yes, Trump does have a very high floor of support, but I think DeSantis can say like, look guys, I'm on your side with this stuff, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, are, are we ready for something new? Are we ready for a fresh young face? Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Andrew on this point. So here, here's, here's one thing that I've been thinking a bit about. I think DeSantis has positioned himself very well to be the heir of the Trump movement. But it is very difficult to be the heir of the Trump movement if the king doesn't want to abdicate the throne. And so I'm very curious as to what the dynamic looks like because the the people that really love DeSantis that I'm, you know, aside from a few folks who have been Trump skeptics for a long time. And they're like, come on guys, DeSantis is our best chance. By and large, the people who really love DeSantis also really love Donald Trump. And if DeSantis runs against Trump, he runs to state the obvious against Trump. How much do you think that changes the dynamic of the Trump DeSantis world? I think that I think that it is. You're absolutely right that it's the the big outstanding question still facing DeSantis. He's he he has navigated basically everything up till now, basically flawlessly in terms of sort of capturing the id of of where the party's at, picking smart fights to 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 be elevated as like an heir apparent. He has been able to do that while functioning as kind of like a guy on a parallel track. Um, yeah. with, with, with Trump and in the last, uh, couple of years going on kind of without Trump, like as, as Trump is hanging out in his state, um, you know, t- taking a lot of these fights, but Ron DeSantis is kidding himself. All these people are kidding themselves. If they think that a confrontation is avoidable, if Trump wants it, right. Trump, tr- Trump, first of all, has every opportunity in the world to announce before DeSantis because DeSantis has to win his current race before he can announce the next one. Um, So if Trump wants to, he can totally preempt DeSantis by coming out in the next couple couple of months and doing that. Uh, At that point, a DeSantis announcement immediately becomes the kind of of implicit criticism that he has never offered before against Trump. Not to mention the fact that one of Trump's biggest political geniuses all along has been his ability to to turn any kind of of fight internal to the GOP into kind of a personal referendum of are you with me or are you against me? Right. Um, and Ron DeSantis hasn't been subjected to that yet. I told I do agree with Audrey that there's a possibility of a lane there that he can come up and be like, look, I I stood with you like while you were president. I I applauded you all the good things you were doing for the country. Um, I stood with you, you know, when you were down, I, I was, I was your ally in the Mar-a-Lago stuff when I didn't have to be like, when I was thinking I was going to do this, where when maybe it would have been in my personal interest for you to get swept aside. I don't think you'll say that, but you know, that kind of, that kind of vibe. Um, but I have, you know, I, I, I'm kind of the, the guy with my finger on the pulse. I've been, I've been out here working, you know, there are various things that, that DeSantis has done a lot about, specifically like anything in the kind of woke cultural space that that has kind of emerged even more as like a, a, a an issue of Republican political valence since 2020. And so Trump wasn't ever I mean, there was like the 1776 project, like like kind mm-hmm. of smallish things like that. But Trump was not Trump was not an anti woke warrior so much. Um, he was not Trump was not like a product of the of the online right in the same way that DeSantis is. So I think there's a there's a case for DeSantis to come out and make that he kind of suits the id even a little better than than Trump does. All right. So. Declan, that that that's a great segue to this question. Is that right? Is there a lane that says, Mr. Trump, thank you for all you've done for our great country and all you did to resist the forces of darkness. It is now time, though, for you to hand the baton over. Something about that tells me that all Donald Trump hears is you must lose. And there is no way to pay tribute enough when you're running against him yeah no that that's not going to be i don't think you can make that argument i don't think that's the argument that these candidates are going to make i think 
really the only thing that you can say. And, you know, Trump's going to go nuclear regardless. You know, it, it's it's not a matter of can you stave that off? It's a matter of can you convince voters that you're right is we love you. You're amazing. Unfortunately, you can't you're not going to win the general election because the media is against you so much because uh, this FBI stuff, because of X, Y, Z, you're you're older or whatever. You're going to have to make the case that, um, you know, I believe me, I I wish I could vote for you again, but you're just there's not enough like you're going to lose. So that's going to be, I think, the only way that you can mount kind of a semblance of a campaign. And I'm less and less convinced by the day that even that's going to work. But the people that I have talked to that are, you know, uh, were fairly uh, supportive of the Trump presidency to very supportive of the Trump presidency that are now less so. That's kind of the the biggest point, uh, or that's kind of the easiest departure uh, from from the the Trump train that I've seen is essentially like his presidency is going to age very well. Um, I think he did a lot of great things. They're never going to let him be president again, whoever they is, um, kind of in 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 that mind. And so to be able to make the case that like, you know, I I'm going to follow in your footsteps. You've taught us the Republican Party so much. Um, <laughs> But I'm going to be able to uh, actually win and and govern in the way, re- whereas, you know, you might lose to Joe Biden again. I mean, you know, DeSantis could go with the Sith rule of two, not to uh, not to get too nerdy here, which is, of course, there can be only two Sith, one to hold the power and one to crave the power. But the deal is the apprentice when the apprentice believes he can take down the master, it is understood that he will challenge it. So, you know, that's, I don't know, had to, had to introduce a little Sith Sith ideology, but Audrey- And I think Trump will under, understand that as well. Oh, you know, he, he's, a, he's an absolute <laughs> Star Wars head. So. Well, and any, but every Sith master fights to, to stave off the apprentice. So, um, so Audrey- in your capacity now, and once again, as senior DeSantis advisor, um, you have a, a, a constituent by the name of Phil, a dispatch member, who says, wait a minute, why are we talking about this? Won't DeSantis see his age and Trump's age and wait four or eight years? In other words, doesn't he only gain by waiting or by saying, hey, Mr. Trump, let me be your VP? How would you advise Governor DeSantis uh, if, on on that uh, on that idea? Um, I think the VP lane is a different question entirely. I think that that would be a good move for him potentially, but I think that they're too um, power seeking both to do, to both. I, I don't I don't know if that would work out. It sounds to me like DeSantis and Trump have a very strange relationship. Um, so I don't know how Trump would feel about that personally, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but in terms of him waiting a few years, I think that might be right. But I mean, you know, politics can change in, a, in an instant. Right. And I think right now DeSantis has a huge fan base. Yes, Trump's fan base is bigger. Right. But, you know, for example, if you look at Mitt Romney in 2012, it's very clear that that was the obviously he didn't win, but that was the time when he was meant to run. You know, if he launched a campaign four years later now, he obviously would not have a shot at all. Chris Christie thinks that he's still got a shot for some reason. But to me, I mean, that's just not going to happen. I think DeSantis, people feel really good about him right now, and he's just got a lot of support. Um, So I think that he knows that now is his time. But I'm curious to hear what you all think. I, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, it's interesting. There's there, I've seen conventional wisdom change over the last several years. I remember hearing from a lot of smart people 10, 15 years ago, so-and-so's young, they've got time. I've heard that many times. And then you're right, Audrey, we've seen people kind of come and go, like they've been the flavor of the month and especially in the GOP politics, GOP politics has got a lot of flavor of the month to it. Uh, President Scott Walker, President Herman Cain, President Herman Rick Perry. Uh, I mean, you could go Grand down the Paul, line. Marco Rubio, yep. Marco Rubio, Ted. I mean, there's all there has been a, a ton of people who've crested, and so um, I think that that it, there's just no real the the new conventional wisdom is if you have your window, you go for your window. Um, all right, let me let's end with Andrew. We're going to go a little a, a couple of a couple of minutes longer. 
Um, Because I want to hear Andrew answer an objection that I got when I did a simple little tweet uh, a day or so ago where I said, look, DeSantis is better than Trump. Uh, There are a lot of Republicans I'd prefer to DeSantis, and therefore it's really premature to just make this a DeSantis-Trump contest right now. And I got a very fair question in response. Well, if it's not DeSantis, is there anybody else, Andrew Egger, that could possibly beat Trump in a primary? This is an interesting question because to to me, it's an interesting question because it's something that Declan and I have talked a lot about. Um, The thing that I have maintained, and I I, I don't know whether you disagree with me. I know Declan has disagreed with me. The thing I, I maintain is that it sure looks right now like it is a it is DeSantis or Trump. That 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 is the way that I that I see it currently. I think that I think that DeSantis has landed in kind of a rare spot where not only is he plausible to Trump's base, he is plausible to a swath of say um, Glenn Youngkin type Republicans and even some former Never Trumpers who are as you alluded to earlier who are literally just like will no one. Uh, what's the what's the, what's the line? No one save me. Rid ourselves of this priest. troublesome. Yeah, yes, yeah. Who yeah. will rid me of this of this of this tro- of this metal increased? <laughs> yes. Um, and and they see Ron DeSantis like consolidating a base of support, and they're like, sure, him, sure, fine, whatever. And like, you can't you can't buy that kind of synergy, you know? Like, I mean, that's, that, it's 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 very particular to to the moment. Um, it's it's very particular to kind of like all the weird dynamics in the Republican Party right now, and he has kind of lucked into this place where like the entire basically like the entire staff of like national review will get behind him. I mean, not, not, not that they are like, you know, kingmakers in any way anymore, but, but you understand what I mean. Like, yeah. like there's yeah. not going to be a split in kind of the respectable right over him. Um, if he, if he decides to challenge Trump, people will pe- anybody who has any reason to think that Trump is, is not necessarily the guy will be, will be in his corner. It seems like to me and, and with, with, with some like, like sort of, very particular principled exceptions. Um, but but uh, I, I just don't see Liz Cheney or Larry Hogan or uh, Rick Scott or Tim Scott or Ben Sass or any of these people coming out and, and changing that calculus in the slightest. Yeah, what's interesting to me is um, we have seen, again, in this in this fickle Republican world of the last decade, well, it's not that fickle anymore. I mean, seven straight years of some pretty strong Trump support, win or lose. But during the fickle period, shall we call it, we saw a lot of people rise and fall based on sort of moments, moments on television, moments in debates, et cetera. And I guess that's one thing that I have a question about is – Really, how much have people seen Ron DeSantis? Let's let's be honest. Really, how much people have have people seen Ron DeSantis and know they like him, or do they know about the idea of Ron DeSantis? And Declan, you raised your hand. Yeah, because I'm in school again for summer. I don't know. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> um, that that was actually what I was gonna just about to say. Is you do it you like know, this I, now, Declan? You do it like this with that. Uh, oh, that's a good. Yep. Yeah. Podcast listeners will not understand that at all, but David just uh, <laughs> put his little hand emoji icon on his Zoom panel. Um, yeah, I, I, that's essentially what I'm going to say. There's a there's a quote from Steve Jobs uh, that I'm going to totally butcher, but it's something along the lines of like, people don't know what it is that they want until you show them. Um, and I and I think that there's some element of that uh, at play here too, where you know. It, so many times if you if you paused presidential punditry at any freeze frame moment where it would look like there's such a clear heir apparent there's such a clear nominee uh that it's not even worth getting in the race um you know if if you paused it in june 20 june 13th june 12th 2015 which was the day before donald trump announced jeb bush had just got into the race, had the most money, had the biggest campaign, had an incredible launch event where he spoke in English and Spanish and had a diverse uh, group of supporters behind him and um, and rolled out a ton of endorsements like he was going to be the guy. It was it was so, so chosen. Um, and then after it was him, people were like, oh, he's not connecting. So obviously Scott Walker's got it in the bag now because he's the only other real option. Um, I, I think Ron DeSantis is not immune to that. Um, you know, I think Donald Trump is. I think his support, the people like him, 
and they're going to like him until he dies. And then well after he dies, um, they're going to be talking about the great years of, of Donald Trump's life. But uh, DeSantis, I think, you know, he is that flavor of the month right now, and he's sustained it for a really long time, uh, you know, a year and a half or so kind of been the leader on this front. But to your point, like people see Fox News clips, they see his press secretary's tweets, they see kind of little spats with reporters. Everything that I've heard and, and you know, doing some preliminary reporting on on him, he's not a very interpersonal person. He's a little bit awkward. Um, he doesn't like interacting with people. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think we haven't really seen that he started to come out and give campaign events with Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania with, um, JD Vance in, in Ohio. And they've been a little stiff. They've been like kind of stilted and he released a really, really weird oh, cringy top gun, top gun yeah. parody. Awful. Uh, Just today. truly should disqualify him. I know. <laughs> and it, so like. That honestly, that was so. I was texting with with somebody uh, the uh, about that today, and they're like, "That might have been the moment that DeSantis jumped the shark was when he put the little aviator hat on." Um, but you know, I I do think that you know, as soon as he gets out there and decides to start a campaign, if he does one, um, people are going to realize, oh wait, he's not infallible, um, and and then there's an opportunity for it. It might not, you know, Trump might get forty percent and run away with it, but there's an opportunity for other non DeSantis alternatives that, you know, you won't know until you jump in. All right. So I started with Audrey. I'm going to give Audrey the last word. All right. To quote Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> two men enter, one man leaves. Okay. How do you see a Trump DeSantis debate playing out? And that is something that I've thought about a quite, quite a bit uh, from a standpoint of charisma um, you know, all of the intangibles that are, uh, that apply to debate, two men enter, one man leaves, who, who is left on the field of battle and who emerges triumphant from the debate stage? You know, I haven't really thought about that question, but I do think that Trump would probably come out looking better. Declan is right. I, was it the New York magazine profile that talked about how awkward DeSantis is? Um, one of something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But apparently, yeah, interpersonally, he is very awkward when he walks in a room, he doesn't really acknowledge people. Um, so, and you know, when he gives speeches, they're really kind of lackluster. Um, Trump has this way of being very, very casual with things. Um, I think DeSantis has really like mastered his conversations and engagement with reporters. The, that one video that he has in the, uh, top gov ad where he's like, you had the narrative. I've disabused you of the narrative it's a false narrative or whatever um so yeah i don't know that would be definitely fun to watch but i think trump i, I mean my instinct tells me right now that trump would probably come out because i mean because in his supporters eyes he can do nothing wrong right um and he's so fine with like being casual and awkward but or not awkward but being casual and you know riffing and whatever and i'm not sure that DeSantis is as equipped in that department but so one last thought, just and I'll just throw it out there for dispatch members to mull over. Is the actual kiss of death for DeSantis when a critical mass of never Trump endorses him? <laughs> is that is that it? Andrew, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you 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 were about to say something. Oh, I, he, it is very plain that he does not want to see that happen. He does not want your endorsement. The the utility of his showing up on a on a debate stage with Doug Mastriano, of all people, is to ward off, you know, Kevin Williamson from from getting behind uh, Bill Crystal, you know, God forbid, uh, potential a potential Ron DeSantis bid. So I think I think. Uh, I, yeah, I think I, I think he does not. He he never wants to be seen as as anti-Trump, and and the longer he can he can stave that off, the happier he'll be. All right, there you have it. Thanks for hanging with us uh, on this. We 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 gradually gained people over the course of this hour as Substack came back up, uh, and it's now alive and well again. But thank you for hanging with us, and uh, if you're listening on the Dispatch podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dispatch Pod, and we'll be back next week. I'm assuming we're clear. <laughs>
if we're not bonus content. Take a quick break to hear from Aura. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And I'll tell you, not only have I given this picture frame to all the moms in my life, but I'm an only child and it's been really fun to see my friends with siblings give this frame to their moms and it turn into a passive aggressive war to see which siblings can upload more pictures of their children. The Aura app is so easy. You can sit there at the end of the day while you're watching TV and just upload a couple pictures from the day and really show your brother-in-law who's boss. From grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, and even the friends in your life, every mom loves an Aura frame. Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DISPATCH at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.